Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Wow, thanks guys. Hello, hello, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. All right, I'm so happy to be here with you guys today. If you don't know me, he just said it, but I'm Pastor Madeline. I'm the G Kids pastor here. I get hidden away in classrooms upstairs a lot, so if you don't have kids, I don't make my way down here a ton. Um, but my husband is uh, Carson. He's our youth pastor here. You may have seen him. He's on the front row right now. So, But um, he's the funny guy on stage with the curly hair. And we have a daughter. She um, is 10 months old. Her name is Eden. I think we have a picture of our family up here. Oh, yeah, she's adorable. I love her. Um, she's so cute. She's growing up so fast. She's actually learned this new trick. I don't know if you have kids, you may can relate. They learn little things and it's really exciting. Um, but she learned how to like shake her head no last week. And it's really hilarious because if we tell her to do something now, she'll shake her head no. She doesn't want to do it. Um, so the sass is starting young. But she's, <laughs> she's using it to teach herself self-control, really sweet. Um, when she's not supposed to do something that she knows she's not supposed to do, she'll like stand up to start doing it. And then she'll shake her head no and, like, pull her hands back, like, no, I'm not supposed to touch that. And then she's like, mm, should I touch it? No, don't, no, don't touch that. And she hasn't quite, like, gotten to the point where she doesn't touch it. She still does, and I have to go get her. But she's learning, and it's really sweet. So that's our family. And we are really, really honored and blessed to be here with you guys. We love serving you and your families. I love serving your kids. Um, I give my life to it. I love watching these kids grow in their faith and um, walk alongside them in their journey with Jesus. It's been just a huge blessing and honor in my life. I've been full-time in kids' ministry for five years, um, but I've served in kids' ministry in some aspect through internships or serving for 15 plus years. So I've given a lot of my life to that. Um, I actually started in high school. So when I was in high school, my family and I were attending a church and this church was campaigning on this day uh, for kids ministry volunteers. And my mom had been a teacher for 20 years, incredible teacher, really gifted teacher. And if you're a teacher in the room, then you know how much of your life and time you give to kids and how you don't want to give them to other kids on the weekend, right? Like you, you like sacred, sacred is your weekend, where you rest away from other people's children. And so my mom was like, "Mm, I don't know if I want to serve in kids ministry, but when they campaigned for this, she felt this stirring in her soul of like, you know what, God gave me the gift to teach, um, and I make money for that during the week, and he's allowed me to do this, and he's blessed me with a job. I think I want to give back in this way. And so she signed up to um, serve in kids ministry, and they placed her in a fifth grade class, and she loved it. Um, Honestly, it was really, really great. I will say teaching in kids ministry is very different from teaching eight hours a day in a school. So if that gives you any hope, but I, with her decided I wanted to serve as well. And I did not have experience training. Um, I didn't feel like I had a lot to give other than my time and, you know, giving up a little bit of extra sleep and, on a Sunday morning. And so I signed, signed up to serve as well. And they placed me in a toddler class, um, which elementary is really more my gifting. Toddlers is a little scary for me. Um, and so I was in toddlers. They're kind of like herding cats. Um, but I went to toddlers and, um, and I loved it. I walked in, I was a little nervous. And my first day, this little girl, her mom was dropping her off. Her name was Harper, really cute little brunette toddler. And she was like screaming like sobbing. And her mom, I overheard her telling the teacher, I'm not sure if this is going to work today. Like, we'll try. Honestly, we may need to take a break for a couple of years, you know, give her some time, but we're going to try one last time. And the little girl locked eyes with me and stopped crying. 
And she came to me and she let, let me hold her and she ended up staying the whole service. And this kind of went on for a couple of weeks where her mom every week was like, I don't know if this is gonna work. And every week she came to me and would let me hold her. And so several weeks went by and her mom pulled me aside one day um, and she said, hey, I wanna thank you for giving your time to be in this class. You may not think it is doing much, but my daughter's never been able to stay in a class. And I think you look so much like me that she thinks you're me. And so she's willing to stay in this class. And I was like, okay, so it's not because I'm really sweet or really fun. It's just because I look like you. But I was willing to be there and just be a presence. And it meant something. And it meant that that little girl, as young as she was, got to encounter the gospel in a class that was tailored for her age and her developmental stage. It also meant that her parents got to go into service undistracted, where they could focus on a message that was tailored for them where they could worship. And we want that for you guys as well. I want that for your families. I want that for you as parents. I want that for your kids. I want that for your students. Um, We're kind of in the same place right now where we need leaders as well and people who are willing to step up and be teachers or assistants or worship leaders or game leaders or, you know, all you have to be is just a willing hand. Um, It doesn't take much. You may not think you're gifted. All has to be is someone who's willing to be the hands and feet of Jesus for kids on a Sunday morning you know, once or twice a month. And so we also are campaigning today. I promise I'm going to get to a message in a second. But out in the lobby today, we have a table. And in some of our G Kids coaches, they're some of my leaders. Um, I, I trust them with my life. And they will answer any questions you have. They'll talk you through things. We have, you know, explanations of what it looks like to serve in G Kids. If you have any questions or you want to look into that more, I encourage you to stop by on your way out today. But continuing in my story. So when I graduated high school, I had, you know, served in kids ministry and I loved it. I loved kids, but I didn't know ministry was something I could do with my life. Um, And so I loved math and science. It made sense to me that I would go into the medical field and do something with pediatrics, kids. I thought I would be a pediatric optometrist big words for kids eye doctor. And I got to Lee University. I was majoring in biochemistry and my first year was terrible. It was so hard. I filled out a calculus and it became very clear that God was not taking me into the medical field at all. And so I (laughs) I was like, this is not going to work for me. And so I went undeclared and I was really disappointed because I was a straight A student. Like I was on honor roll. I graduated. I had a skull. I was going to lose my scholarship if I stayed in calculus. So I ended up dropping out of calculus. And, um, So the end of my first year at Lee, I was really discouraged. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And the last couple weeks before we left for the summer, I didn't have any summer plans. A friend of mine came running into my dorm room, like so excited. She's like, get your laptop out right now. We are going to apply and we're all going to be camp counselors this summer. It's like, yeah, that sounds really, really fun, you know, adventurous. I thought I'd get, okay, I'll probably get some rest. There's a lake. It'll be great. And so we applied. We went to a camp in North Carolina and... The first two weeks were very eye-opening that camp was not going to be restful, um, but we had a lot of fun. And um, after the first two weeks of like cleaning up the camp and doing a lot of hard work to prep for the kids, we received our assignments. And assignment day was kind of like bid day, if you've ever like bid for a sorority or something. So like you were standing outside the cafeteria and they would sound an alarm and you go sprinting into the cafeteria to figure out who your team was and what age you'd be a counselor for and who all your kids were going to be for the summer. And so we went running in. I found out I was going to be a counselor for fifth grade girls, which I was very excited about. I love, love, love fifth grade girls. I found out my team, my closest friends were on my team. And um, so we're huddled up in a circle and our team director, she gets really quiet and really solemn. And she goes, hey, Y'all might want to take a second to pray before you open up your folders and see who is going to be in your cabin this summer. Because some kids stay for two weeks. Most kids stay for two weeks. Some kids stay for four weeks. But there's one kid who stays for the whole summer, and she's terrible. Like, 
a menace. Like, doesn't follow any rules, bites kids. You know, like, she's, like, serious about this. And I don't know if you've ever done this. It never goes well for me when I try to, like, pray someone away from my sphere of influence. Like, if I'm, for example, have you ever, like, prayed when you were in middle or high school that someone wouldn't be put into your group project at school? You're like, Lord God, there are 30 people in this class. 30. I'm going to have a group of three. Please, there's one person, just one I don't want in my group. She's not going to do any work. It's going to test my patience. Please don't put this person in my group. And then you pray it, and then literally two seconds later, they're like, hey, so-and-so's in your group. And you're like, God, why? Um, and so I, like, I, but I did it. I, t- I stood away, and I prayed, and I said, God, I've had a really rough year. I'm just here for fun. Maybe meet a guy. Like, I just want to have a good time, get some rest, get some money, you know? And so I opened my folder, and you already know what's going to happen. This girl, her name is Peyton, first name on the list. I'm like, oh, God, okay, okay, Lord. And so I I decided in that moment, she's a child of you, Lord. You made her. I'm going to be positive. It cannot be that bad. It was that bad and way worse. Like, the first week was terrible, okay? I was chasing this girl all over camp. She was yelling at me, lots of horrible things. She was punching kids, biting kids. I spent most of my first, like, five days at camp, like, okay, like, disciplining Paige, where's Paige, finding Paige, chasing Peyton down, and then I would have to comfort kids who have been hurt by Peyton. So, it was a really rough first week. But on the last day of the week, Friday, every Friday we would go on a fun day Friday, and we would take a bus, and we'd go off camp and do something fun. And I was preparing for that. I had gotten all of my kids. I had wrestled them onto the bus, and I was counting them, and I was like, oh, we're almost there, we're almost there. We're missing one. And I'm like, I don't even need to look at my list. I know who we're missing. We're missing Peyton. And so I go off, and I'm trying to find Peyton, and I see her coming towards me. She's leaving the director's cabin, which that is, that means bad news. I was like, she must have gotten in big trouble to be coming out of there. And she's coming towards me, and she's crying. And I'm like, man, I have never seen this girl cry before. I didn't know she could cry. I didn't know she had emotions. And so she's crying, and I'm like, okay, she must have gotten in really big trouble. I'm not going to get on to her. I just get her on the bus. Um, and my teen director comes to me and says, hey, check on her today. Make sure she's okay today. Well, now I'm thinking, like, what's wrong? And I'm, I sit in the bus, and she's sitting behind me, and I start hearing, like, deep sobs. And so I text my director. I'm like, hey, like she's sobbing. What do you want me to do? And she says, ask her what her pain is on a scale from one to 10. Well, now I'm like, is she sick? Is she dying? Like, what is happening? And I ask her and she says, 10. And I'm texting, like, she says 10, she says 10. Like, she's in so much pain right now. What do you want me to do? And she's like, she's fine, she's fine. Just give her a hug. Just encourage her. Like, Tell me what is going on here. So later that night, she tells me to help Peyton pack her stuff. And she finally tells me, she says, hey, this morning Peyton got a call. She got a call from her mom. Her mom said that her dad had died. And she didn't exactly say it in the kindest of terms. See, her parents had been divorced for a long time, and she hadn't even seen her dad in like three months. And she told her that her dad had been found dead on the floor for several days. And he died from a heart attack. And she said, so pack a bag. Grab your swimsuit. We're going to fly down to Florida for the weekend, go to the funeral, go to the beach. We'll have a good little time, and then I'll drop you off at camp. And that's what happened. And they brought her back to me three days later, and I was left to help a grieving mourning child work through what is the hardest loss of her life. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I had never experienced that before. Um, And 
you know, a child with already, who already has disciplinary, you know, struggles, like, what would this look like? What would my summer hold? But what actually happened was super, like, wild. And never, I never expected it. So Peyton, okay, came back from her funeral and started actually attending chapel services. I could never get her to go into one, and she started coming. Peyton started reading her Bible. Peyton started talking to me about God and asking me questions about God and seeking God for herself. And so through this, through this time, Peyton started to realize that because her earthly father was gone, she needed a heavenly father. Because of the comfort that she found in an earthly comfort, an earthly love, when it was no longer there, she had to find it elsewhere. And so she went looking, she went seeking, and what she found filled her more than what the earth could provide. And so one day, um, like several months later, or several weeks later, she accepted Jesus. And Peyton's life really was changed. She was not the same kid. This kid was loving. This kid was more caring and kind and compassionate than I had ever seen another kid be. She was welcoming towards new kids that would come into the camp. She was respectful towards me. Um, and so she one day went missing, which at this point was actually really surprising for Peyton. She had shown up to everything she was supposed to go to. And I went looking for her, couldn't find her. She wasn't at the lake. She wasn't in her activity. Couldn't figure out where she had gone. My last resort was to go to the cabin. Um, I went to go look for her, and I saw her in there. And I went in there with the expectation to kind of get on to her and be like, hey, you know, you're not supposed to be in here by yourself. I climbed up into her bunk, and she was reading her Bible, praying and crying. And she said, I'm reading Lamentations, which at that point, I don't even know that I had read Lamentations um, in my life. And she was reading Lamentations, crying, saying God had told her that even though she was sad, that he loved her, that he wasn't upset with her for being sad, that he was with her, that he loved her, that he was her father, and that he would never forsake her or leave her. And it was a moment that really shifted things for me, um, really changed things for me. So John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The fruit of Peyton's life had radically changed. She was now filled with a joy, with a peace, with a love that made no sense to her circumstances. She was sad. She, in times, were angry. She didn't understand. She would fall asleep crying into her pillow at night with her dad's shirt underneath her pillow. But does that mean that she's out of the Lord's hand? That God wasn't with her? No. She felt his presence more than she ever had in her life. And she reflected his character more than she ever had in her life. And so I learned three things that summer. One, I learned God does talk to kids. God moves in kids' lives. We don't need to say that kids are too little to understand the things of God. God will speak to them. Two, I learned that I knew I always wanted to walk with kids in their faith journeys. I always wanted to be a part of them, like learning about Jesus, walking with Jesus, reading the Bible with kids, praying with kids. I wanted that to always be part of my story. And so I went back to Lee. I changed my major. I became discipleship ministry with an emphasis in kids ministry. I got an internship. But thirdly, I saw the hypocrisy in my own faith, in my own relationship with Jesus. I saw that when I, even though I knew I should spend time with God, and I, you know, scheduled out 30 minutes in the morning to spend time with God. I would 
listen to worship music every so often driving in my car on the way to work. But that wasn't what God wanted from me. He wanted me to be willing to abandon things that were fun, my friends, because I wanted to be with him all the time. He wanted me to abide in him. And for most of us, there's a huge gap between the things that we know we should do and the things that we actually do, the things we know that are good for us and the things that we actually do. Like, I want to be healthy and work out. I want to get to the point where I got a six-pack and I can eat really healthy foods and cook my own foods. Well, the gap between what I want to do and actually getting to the point where I'm fit and healthy is big, right? It takes a lot of work and intentionality and effort and planning. And so I have to be willing to make that effort to achieve any goal that I have. And if my goal is to be one with Jesus to have love and joy and peace, to feel like Jesus is above all things, and I'm here, the gap is wide. How do we get there? You know that you should spend time with God, but you've got kids at home. Maybe you've got three of them, Pastor Aaron. And you've, your life is busy, and it's loud, and it's chaotic. When do you have time to read the Bible? There is no such thing as quiet time in your house right now, okay? What about... You know that you should read the Bible, but you work a really exhausting and demanding job. Or you're in classes right now that are exhausting and difficult and you have homework and you're mentally exhausted. You don't think that you have the mental capacity to read your Bible right now. Or you know that you're supposed to pray. You know that you should pray, but when you sit down to pray in the quiet, you don't even know what to say. You feel sad, you feel angry, you feel anxious, and you just don't. Um, You know that time with God is going to make you feel joy and peace and hope, but your life is so busy. It's so busy. And when you catch a rare free moment, you don't choose to sit with God. We choose easy, comfortable, five minutes scrolling on our phone, a nap, a snack, a TV show on Netflix. Choose your comfort, right? These are the things that we choose, and we say, I don't have time for God. Well, what are we choosing? How are, what do our lives look like? Where are we spending our time? And so the gap between what we're called to do and what we actually do, it breeds complacency in our hearts, where we just kind of give up. We're like, we can't get there on our own. I can't get to that point. I can't get over the fact that I want to do what's comfortable and easy for me, so I'm just going to be complacent and not even try But the truth is we can't do it on our own. We can't. That gap is too wide. We cannot get to where we know we should be to where we actually can be. We can't do it. Um, But the good news is is we're going to look at John 15 today. And Jesus shows us three ways that we can grow good fruit, a life characterized by love, joy, and peace. And he can help you dive deeper in your relationship with Jesus. And so the first thing that Jesus tells us is simply to stay connected, stay connected, to abide. In John 15, 4 through 6, Jesus says, if you want to follow along, you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John 15 for the rest of the morning, so you're welcome to do that. But in in verse 4, Jesus says, abide in me as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. 
Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not abide in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So Jesus tells us that to abide is to remain in him. He says we have to abide in him, remain connected to him at all times. And he uses the imagery of a vine. He's referring to a grapevine. These were really abundant in the area that Jesus was teaching and preaching. Um, Jesus would use things in his area that people that he was teaching to would understand. Um, So a lot of times when he speaks in the Bible and you read things, you're like, this doesn't really, I don't understand, you know, but they would have understood and they would have known that grapevines were really difficult to grow, that they required to be grown in like certain places and that they needed a full day's worth of direct sunlight in order to grow good fruit, at least eight hours a day of direct sunlight. And it may sound kind of cliche, but we're kind of the same, right? Like if we want to grow good fruit, if we want to be Christ-like and be like Jesus, then we've got to be baking in the sun, Jesus, the light of the world, right, all day. But the question is, how do we do that? What does that look like? And the word abide in the Gospel of John is used 63 times. So it must be really important, right? It can mean to rest in, to remain in, to stay connected to. It sounds really nice that we would be able to rest and rely on someone else. The way that we abide in Christ is through spiritual disciplines, Spiritual discipline. So we read the Bible. We Sabbath, which is just a day of rest, right, to focus on the Lord. We sit alone and quiet with God. We worship. We give thanks. We pray. But these are so much harder than we give them credit for, you guys. So much harder. We're like, oh, yeah, just pray. Just read your Bible. But they're spiritual disciplines. That word discipline means that it requires effort. It's not just easy. It doesn't come naturally. It requires you to actually schedule these things, to plan these things. You have to create a habit, a rhythm, a lifestyle on these things. We live in a culture that is super fast-paced, where our success is like managed by how much can you get done in a day, right? Our days are fast-paced. We don't live in a place where a bell rings every, you know, three to five hours. It says to sit down and pray. Some places are like that. We are not. We have to fight for these spiritual disciplines in our work with God. The good news is that disciplines do get easier through time and practice. And habits begin to be formed. So I got really into running a few years ago. Um, I decided in college, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a runner. Um, I really want to be a runner, but I, every time I tried to run, it went really badly. I would run like 10 seconds and be like, I think that's good for today. I'll try 20 seconds tomorrow. And so I saw this class, this course uh, at Lee, my senior year, I had room for an elective. I took a marathon training class, which in retrospect, going from like zero to marathon is that's a lot, but I did it. And so um, I was taking this class and what I found is what I needed with some structure and some accountability. Because I started the class, and it was terrible, and I hated it. And every time I would try to go run, I was like, oh, I don't want to do this today. <laughs> but I'm getting a grade for this, so I have to go run. And so I would go run, and I would track it. And then I would, the next day, it was a little bit worse. And the next day, it was like even worse, because the more sore you get, if you work out, you know, you get more sore, and then you're like, I really don't want to do this today. Um, but the next week, I realized, you know what? This isn't like so bad. And I don't really want to go run, but like, it's not terrible. And then the next week, I was like, it's a little bit better. And it, they say that it takes two months to form a habit. And I realized about the time where two months hit, I was, like, excited to go run. 
I would get really stressed out and I'd be like, oh, I got it. Like I would be shaking. I'd be like, I have to go run. Like I got to go run out this stress. Um, and so you get to the point where a habit is formed and you are like desperate to go and do that thing. Like it is a part of your rhythm, your schedule, you desire it. Was the running any easier for me? Not necessarily. I mean, I got better at it for sure. You grow, you get better at it. I would still hit mile three and be like, why did I do this today? Right? But your desire to go and do that thing changes. It changes. The thing is still hard, but it's really easy to get to the point of doing that thing. And so that's how it is with spiritual disciplines. We have to work ourselves into the point where we are practicing those things so often that we are desperate for God's presence. But you have to start small. If you start big, you will fail every time. Get a Bible study. You have phones on the Bible app? Join a Bible study. When you finish that one, join another one. Create a habit, a rhythm. Join a G group. Get some people who can encourage you to live out these things. And what you'll find is a month from now, two months from now, three months from now, six months from now, your relationship with Jesus is going to be so much deeper and healthier because you're doing those things on a regular. And so when Paul talks about abiding in scripture, he refers to it as prayer without ceasing. Prayer without ceasing. That doesn't mean I'm just like walking around mumbling under my breath all day, Lord Jesus. Which it can. Some days, some days you need that. But prayer without ceasing just means that you're in a remaining relationship with God, with Jesus, on your heart, on your mind, at all times. Jesus doesn't want you to move him to the top of your list of things to do. He doesn't want you to schedule time 30 minutes in the morning. I'm not saying it doesn't start there. But he doesn't want to be a to-do list for you. Check off. Check. I read my Bible today. Check. I went to church this week doesn't want that. He wants you to live a life in rhythm, in like walking with Jesus so that everything you do flows from him. Your checklist, they flow from him. He decides what your to-do list is for the day. And so Jesus wants that relationship for you. And the best way that I can kind of explain, I'm sorry in the room if you're not married, but maybe think of a dating relationship. I don't know. If you are married in the room, okay, think about when you first started dating your spouse. When you first started dating your spouse. Think about that moment, those days. Was it like, oh, it wasn't like, oh, I got to call Carson today. Got to get my daily allotment of like calling Carson in, see what he's been doing up to today. Oh, got to go on my weekly date with Carson. Oh, man. All right. I'll go. Oh, we did it. All right. Next week again, right? That's not how it was. For me, it was, I was excited to be with Carson. He said, come on. I wanted to spend time with him. I wanted to spend time with him. When I wasn't with Carson, I missed him. I was desperate for him. When I was with other people, I was still thinking about him. They would say things and I'd be like, oh, Carson likes that too. Wow, Carson and I went and did that last week, right? I'm talking about him to other people. I'm thinking about him constantly. When we go on dates, I feel the most loved and seen and treasured that I ever have in my life, right? When we're apart, I'm like, when can we be together again? And that's how it's supposed to be with Jesus. It's not, oh man, I got my daily allotment of Jesus. I feel good, all right. And you go on with your life. No, it is a walking out thinking about all the time relationship with Jesus. It's an intimate love, not a forced friendship. A.W. Tozer says in The Pursuit of God, to have found God and still to pursue him is the paradox of love, which I think is so beautifully said because the wedding isn't the goal, right? 
The wedding is beautiful and exciting and fun, but it's not the goal. Marriage is the goal. Salvation, it's beautiful and exciting and a wonderful moment, but it's not the goal. The goal is one with Christ, a life spent in pursuit of Jesus. And so my question is, are there any couples in the room that have been married more than 30 years? Anyone been married more than 30 years? Okay, more than 40 years. Oh, wow. Okay, more than 50 years? 51? 51 years? 52 years? Okay, wow. There were a lot of you guys that were like more than 40 years. That's, That's amazing. Are there any couples in the room that have been married less than two years? Less than three years? (laughs) Oh, yeah, right there. Okay, so if I was to call up, I'm not going to do this to you guys, I promise. If I was to call up the couple in the room who married the longest and the brand new couple to stage, and we were going to play a game called the newlywed game. All right. If you're not familiar, you ask, I would ask questions like, what's your spouse's favorite dessert? What's your spouse's favorite thing to do? And harder ones like, what annoys your spouse? What's their pet peeve? What's your spouse's like thing that they love the most? And they would compete to see who could get the most right answers. Now, who do we hope would win? You have to talk back to me, you guys. I work with kids. Come on. Who, who do we hope would win? Yes. Thank you. The old folks. I love that. That's amazing. Okay. And so the longer that you've been married, we would hope the more intimately you would know one another. You've gone through ups and downs. You've been through seasons of hardship together. You've walked through it. You've walked through it. And... In marriage, there are seasons where you feel really, really close and connected, where you're working really well together and you feel super, super close. There are seasons in marriage where you don't feel close. You feel really distant from that person. But what's the reason for that? Usually lack of communication, lack of listening, lack of time spent together Quality time where you're talking, where you're being honest and vulnerable with one another, where you're being compassionate towards one another, right? The same is with God. The same is with Jesus. And so if, if we want to have an intimate relationship with Jesus, Jesus has been 100% open with us. He is with us 100% of the time. He has been the most vulnerable that anyone could ever possibly be towards you. He died on a cross for you. It was humiliating and excruciating, but it was his act of love, of sacrificial love to be open and vulnerable with you. But relationships are not one-sided. They require two parties, and we have to respond to that sacrificial love, which means that we also have to sacrifice. And sometimes this is the fear of Christianity, but it's not a fear. When you love that person and trust that person like you do your spouse, it's not a fear anymore. You want to sacrifice for that person because you love them and you're grateful for them. And so we too have to let go of some things, sacrifice some things if we want to grow. We have to let go to grow. And so you've probably heard the phrase, learn to say no to good things so you can say yes to the best things. If You've heard that in the room, okay? I'm terrible at this. I'm so, so bad at this because I am a people pleaser. And I want to do all the things. I have all the FOMO. I want to, if that, that just means fear of missing out, okay? I have like, I want to do all the things, all the fun things. I want to go be with my friends. I want to work hard. Um, I want to be good at my job. I want to be a good wife and a good mom, and I want to cook my own food and bake my own bread, and I want to keep my house clean, and I want to watch TV shows and rest on the weekends, and like I have so many things I want to do. I want to do it all, but it's not possible 
You cannot please yourself, everyone else, and also please God. It's not possible. John 15, 1 through 2 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. So if we want our lives to grow good fruit, if we want to become more like Jesus, we have to let God prune or cut away things to make room for new, bro- new growth. I got into gardening a little bit ago. Um, now my, my house plants are like hanging on for dear life. So I'm not going to claim to be like this great gardener. But I did some research. And pruning or cutting away, you do it for two reasons. There's two ways to prune. So you can prune and cut away the dead stems, which that's the easy part because it's easy to see the dead, right? It's obvious to see the dead growth. But you also have to cut away the living growth. The things that look alive and healthy are things you've got to cut away. And the reason is so that the plant can focus all of its energy, all of its nutrients on the primary thing that you want to grow, which in the case of grapes or fruit is the fruit. So you want to cut away all of the other growth so that the energy can go and focus on the fruit that's trying to grow. And for us, we have things in our lives as well that are stealing our time, our energy, and our attention from what's most important. And God wants to prune them from our lives, but we have to let him. We have to let him. We have to let God remove, firstly, the sinful dead desires, the things that are easier to see. Maybe not to everyone on the outside, but definitely to you. Like, we're probably the most aware of our own faults, right? And so God is asking you to rid yourself of the sin He's asking you to repent and so that he can cut it away and remove it from you, but you have to let him if you want to be able to experience the peace and joy. Otherwise, the dead is going to infect, disease the good fruit. It will infect or disease the good fruit, and you, your fruit will become fruit of bitterness and shame and anxiety and depression if you don't rid yourself of those things. But what is sometimes even harder and hurts worse is when God wants to prune you. Okay, because pruning is different than cutting. God sometimes wants to prune away things that are good in your life. Sometimes things that are good and they aren't sins, but they're just not God's best for you in this season. Watching a movie is not a sin. Having an Instagram or a Facebook or a Snapchat account is not a sin. Going shopping or golfing on the weekend with a friend is not a sin. Those can be really good things used in the right season, the right timing, But when they distract you and they keep you from God's best, he might ask you to cut them out for a season or maybe forever. If they become an idol or an obstacle to a relationship in your life, he may ask you to cut them out. I challenge you. Like, you can look at your phone. You can get into your settings app. It will tell you how much time you spend on apps on your phone. It's actually kind of scary. It led me to to delete my Instagram last week. So, you know, it'll, it'll convict you. But there are ways that you can... Look at your life and see where your time is going. And God may convict you. and He may ask you to cut some of those things out for a season. And it's your choice if you do that or if you don't. But sometimes it takes the loss and removal of our comforts, the things that we turn to when we feel overwhelmed and tired, to truly rely on God. We know that we're made for more, but sometimes we get stuck in what's comfortable. So, Christy Knuckles says something. Um, that meant a lot to me when I read it. She said, we were never meant to live the Christian life. Christ has come 
that he might live it through us, that he might live it through us. We can't live the Christian life on our own. We talked about that in the beginning. We can't get from here to here on our own. Christ came to live it through us. And that is really, really freeing when you allow him to live through you, when you allow him to make decisions for you, to cut out things that you need to cut out. And when God tries to prune and cut things, surrender to the gardener and let go so Christ can live through you and you can grow. When you are cut free from sins and distractions, then God can take you where he wants to lead you for your good and for his glory. And you can grow where he leads you. This is the super fun part. John 15, 16, this is the last thing that we have to know. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last That's good news. Jesus chose you and he appointed you at this place, this time, so that you can go and bear fruit. When we're connected to Jesus and we've allowed God to cut things away so that we can be Christ-like, we can go and we can move in faith. We can trust that God is leading our lives. It's important to know that the going comes after being So don't go unless you've been with God and he's told you to go. But when he's told you to go, that's the exciting part. You get to go and do. Jenny Allen, she's one of my favorite authors ever, ever, ever. Um, There's a book, if you've never read it, and especially if you're a female in the room, really recommend it. Um, It's called Anything, the Prayer That Unlocked My God and My Soul. But she says this, and I want to read it. I know it's a little bit long, but I want to read it today because it really spoke to me. She says, many people who study the Bible never find God. Many people who go to church never really know him. The only exercise that works 100% of the time to draw one close to the real God is risk. To risk is to willingly place your life in the hand of an unseen God and an unknown future. Then watch him come through. He starts to get real when you live like that. Scripture describes a radical, reoriented life For those who trust Christ. It's a life fully surrendered to an invisible God whose agenda for my time here is contrary to my own. A life very different from the safe, comfortable one I was creating. This part's hard, but it's filled with excitement and wonder and joy. Risk requires a bold step of faith. It means that you're not going to get to control the outcome. You don't even sometimes get to know what the outcome will be. We can only place our hope and trust in the one who's leading us. Safe, comfortable, They just lead to complacency, purposelessness. It feels good in the moment that you look back in your life and you're like, what did I even do with my life? Where did it go? But faith in action looks like fulfillment of purpose and joy in your life. You get to experience firsthand the goodness of God. And as you abide with Christ, you're going to start hearing that voice, that small voice. It actually makes me think of a story, Philip. If you know the story of Philip and the Ethiopian, if you don't, I'll I'll give you a super short, brief version. It's in Acts 8. But Philip is, we, I assume from the story that he's in bed, and he hears a voice calling him, and he says, get up, Philip, and go walk south on a desert road. And Philip could have rolled over and ignored the small voice. Could have been like, mm, I really would like to have a little bit extra sleep. But he got up, he got dressed, he started walking on a desert road. And as he's walking, he hears another voice. And it's God, God's voice, and God says, walk close. Get uncomfortably, awkwardly close to this chariot on the road. Philip could have said, I don't know that guy. I'm not getting close to him. He could be dangerous. He could not like that I'm close to him. What if I offend him? What if he don't like me? What if he says something mean to me? 
No, Philip goes and he moves as close as he can to that chariot. And because he's close, because he doesn't do it half-hearted, he heard the man reading scripture. And as he was reading the scripture, he was confused. And Philip explains it to him. And because Philip had been with God and Philip had given up sleep that morning, he was able to witness to this man, tell him about Jesus. He gets saved and baptized in that moment. This is the kind of reckless abandonment that God is calling us to where we get to experience the joy, the, the life that God has for you and for other people that's so much better than a little extra sleep. So much better. But we have confused earthly comfort for heavenly peace. We've allowed words like anxiety, fear, to keep us from God's best. We've allowed Satan to twist scripture in our minds where we hear, God's a God of peace. So if I feel stressed, I feel anxious, I feel worried or angry or frustrated, I must not be in God's will. I'll just quit this and go do something different. No, no, that's not truth. That's not truth. We think things like, I feel peace when I'm sitting on my couch reading a book. Or I feel peace when I'm sitting by the ocean and I hear the waves crashing on the shore. Those are circumstances that change and they don't last forever. Those are earthly comforts and that's not the same as heavenly peace. Heavenly peace does not depend on our circumstances. They don't change with the in and out of the tide, right? We can't allow our emotions to change what's true. When life is super busy, maybe your job is really hard, maybe you're taking a really difficult class at school, maybe your marriage, your relationships at home, your friendships feel like they're failing. Maybe you feel God is leading you to serve. G-Kids or G-Youth or Connections or local missions group. But you're like, my life is too busy. I feel too overwhelmed in this season. I don't have energy for that. Sometimes God lets us go through difficult seasons because in the removal of all earthly comfort, we're drawn into the presence of God because he is the God of all comfort. He is the God of peace. And through trials, through resistance, we strengthen our faith. We grow in love. We get molded and shaped into his image like never before. So don't give up. Don't miss the growth that God has for you in this season. What's the fruit of your life right now? Does the fruit of your life look like anxiety, fear, anger, frustration, worry? Or does the fruit of your life look like the fruits of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? And the way that you can gauge the fruit of your life is by looking at what happens, what comes out of me when I'm being pressed during difficult circumstances, when someone cuts me off in traffic, right? It's a hard one, okay? When my kids for the 10th time are still not doing what I asked them to do, what comes out of me? Is it anger and frustration? Is it sadness and anxiety? Or is it joy and love and peace and grace and a desire to, in those really difficult moments, to lean into God and say, God, I need you. I need you in this moment. My life is full. It really is, y'all. And I'm in a good way, but also in a really hard way. I'm a mom, a new mom. I'm a wife. I work full time. My life is full and it's exhausting and it's hard and I'm not doing it perfectly. I know that I'm letting people down along the way. I know that. But God has been so gracious to me. He's been so good to me. He has allowed me to be a part of things like memories that I'll cherish forever he has used me in ways that I didn't think I could be used. He's been so good to me in this season. And as I lean into him, 
as I trust him with my life, as I spend time with him, as I abide in him, I find myself even amidst exhaustion and difficulty and busyness, I find myself feeling rested, feeling a peace, feeling a hope that I didn't know I could feel and I definitely can't feel in myself. It is not me, it is Christ in me. And so every day is a sacrifice, a laying down of what our flesh wants, laying down our desire to lay on the couch in our PJs and watch a TV show, laying it all down so you can spend time with God and with the people that he's placed in your life so that you can push through the trials and grow good fruit and become like more and more like Jesus. Abide in Christ. Let him lead your life. And you never know. You may end up getting to see people like Peyton, people like Harper, come to Jesus as well. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we love you, and we just praise you for how good that you are, for how you love us, for how you're with us. You promise to never, ever forsake us. But God, this relationship is not one-sided. You have given us everything, everything, Jesus. You gave us your life. There is no more that you can give us of yourself. Now it's our turn to give to you, to give our time, our energy, our finances to you, to abide in you, to choose you above anything else, above our comfort, above our own desires. Jesus, give us the power and the strength that it takes to let go of those things and to trust you with our lives. And I pray that as we start to build discipline, spiritual disciplines in our life, that you would show up and strengthen us, that we would start to see the good fruit grow in our lives. Because when one grape grows, then we get real excited and we want more to start growing in our life. And I pray, Jesus, that in this room, that you would just give every single one of us a desire to lean into your presence like never before, a desire to live out and walk out just this abiding presence with you at every moment of our lives, Jesus. We love you. We sacrifice. We give you the things, God, that are of this world so that we can receive the things that are of heaven. Empty us of the world, Jesus, and give us heaven. Give us you. Give us your love. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.